what you did for us in our heart. You redeemed us. You relieved us from the sentence of sin in the grave. And God, we rejoice in that this morning. We praise you. The scripture says we should enter your gates with thanksgiving and come into your courts with praise. And Lord, this morning we want to be in a praising court. I pray that every heart in here this morning would be filled with adoration and praise for you, rejoicing in the spirit and excited that someday we're going to come and be with you. So, Lord, this morning you be blessed, and we ask you to bless us with your presence and your power. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, brother. Let's
That's why we're here to do today, glorify and honor him. Amen.
Y'all okay? Amen. <laughs> Amen. Hey, it's good to have y'all with us today. Very good to have you here. Welcome to Airline Baptist Church. If this is your first time here, uh, please take the time to fill out the card in the back, little connect card, so that we'll have a record of your being here with us today. We want to love on you a little bit after the service. If you want to meet back there in that back corner, we got a gift for you as a first-time visitor. And uh, love, to, love to spend a little time with you to get to know you, okay? This is Holy Week, amen? Amen. We have got, uh, got a lot of good opportunity this week. One thing, regardless of what activities you might get involved in, spend some time in the Word this week. Spend some time in, in the Gospel. Read the gospel story. If you don't, if you read it every day this week, okay? It will definitely make this season, this time, more for you. Spend some time in that word and, and do that, okay? Tomorrow, just a few announcements. Tomorrow morning at 6:30 a.m. I got to get that a.m. in there. Prayer time out here in the fellowship hall. Take part of that. We had a great group out there last Monday. Come be with us. Just a great way to to start the week and. A lot of needs, a lot of needs. So be here for that, 6.30 in the morning in the fellowship hall, okay? We have our um, Good Friday service this Friday night. Starts at 5 o'clock. Um, this is an outreach opportunity. We're expecting a, a, a lot of people there. Many of you I've saw have gone on to the website, the, the sign-up sheet, and signed up for, for service there. Thank you for that. There's a lot more places, uh, counseling, food service, cleanup. Cleanup's huge, amen? So be uh, be vigilant in that. Sign up to help do some things in there. Let's make that just a good a good time together. Saturday morning at 11 o'clock at East Hall Community Center is our what? Y'all are, are tore up about that Easter egg hunt. I can tell you. Another great outreach opportunity. We uh, Easter egg hunt for the community at East Hall Community Center, okay? Um, We've got a couple thousand eggs already. Thank y'all for donating that, for stuffing. Uh, need a few more. Uh, just looking for a good crowd for that. Same thing, sign up there. There's opportunities to serve. We're going to have food, uh, registration, welcome. We've got some games and, of course, an egg hunt. You've got to hide them to hunt them, right? So sign up to work there, and let's just have a great time next Saturday morning. And then, of course, Sunday, sunrise service at 645 right out here. Be here for that. It's going to be a great time. 645. It's always beautiful out here on sunrise. And then food to follow that. Kirk, uh, there are a couple's class are sponsoring the breakfast afterwards. That'll just be a good time. Okay? So great week. Great week. Y'all ready to sing some more? Let's sing this song. Death was arrested.
Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for this day. God, thank you for this time together, God, as we just celebrate that old rugged cross. Not the cross, God, but for what you did for us there. Thank you that Jesus, your son, gave his life for us there, Father. That sacrifice that pays for every sin that we have ever committed, not just me, not just everybody in this room, but everybody in this world, God. He paid the price for us all. And, Lord, we're so grateful and thankful for that. We celebrate that victory. We celebrate, God, his goodness, your mercy, and your grace. Bless this time together, God. Be with Brother Marcus. He brings a message to us this morning. God, just fill this place with your presence. God, woo us into a closer walk with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be seated. It's good to see you again this morning. Enjoy being with you last week. And uh, as I said last week, we're going to spend a, a few weeks in uh, the book of Acts looking at the early church and uh, the perfect model of uh, the church. So they were not a perfect church. They were the model of what, uh, what Christ would have uh, the church to look like in the world. So I'm going to invite you this morning, take your Bibles, find the book of Acts chapter 3. If you would, and uh, that is where we are going to camp out for a little while this morning. Somebody had said to me uh, earlier this morning that uh, they appreciate 
uh, taking, um, taking verses and verse by verse. Listen, it, I said last week, I believe God wrote a book. So I could stand up here and talk about a lot of things, I guess, and uh, not really matter. But what I do believe is there's power in the, in the Scripture. And so I want to take us there uh, each Sunday that I'm with you. I know Levi does that as well. Levi is going to be with you next Sunday uh, on Easter. And so uh, the energy level goes up about 10 notches with Levi in the room. So I know you're going to want to be here and invite people to come be with you and be a part of that service. Easter is always a great time to invite uh, folks around you. I know a lot of times we assume that the people we live next door to or down the street from or we work with, we assume they know what Easter is. And the fact is, you get into conversations with a lot of people that are not uh, a part of a uh, body of faith, that have never put their faith in Jesus Christ, they really don't know what Easter is. They don't know what it's about. And so uh, you have the opportunity to be able to bring folks with you and introduce them to uh, not only the cross, but the resurrection as well. So I uh, want to make sure that uh, you know, let's, let's invite our uh, folks that we come into contact with this week. And I want to I start with a question this morning, and I don't want you to answer this out loud. You'll see why when I ask the question. But the qu- simple question is this. I want you to think through this. Is are, are you bored in your relationship with God this morning? Have, uh, have things just kind of fallen into routine? Now, that may be a crazy question because here we are uh, in a relationship, many of us in this room, in a relationship with the God of the universe. We have experienced uh, his forgiveness. We can find no place else. We have access 24-7 to the God of the universe. We have assurance of uh, life in heaven once this life is over. And so the question might be, well, how can I be bored? How can a person be bored in a relationship like that? But I'm just going to tell you this morning, the truth is, if we get real honest with each other this morning, there are a lot of us in this room that would say, you know, it's kind of boring right now. I really don't sense that God is hearing my prayer, that God is, God is answering uh, my prayers. I don't see God doing anything in my life. There's nothing in my, nothing in my life right now spiritually I'm really fired up about. And so uh, I would say, to be honest with you, Mark, yeah, if we get together one-on-one and we just have a, a real honest talk, yeah, my life's pretty, pretty boring spiritually, but that is the last thing God has in mind for us, spiritual boredom. And so I want to open uh, Scripture. The early church was anything but boring, and the early Christians would have described what was going on as as anything but boring as well. Jesus had been resurrected from the dead. Um, The Holy Spirit had been sent just as he had been promised. Thousands of people came to Christ in a single day. People are being healed. God is doing amazing things in and through the church and the followers of Jesus Christ. And in reading Acts chapter 3, if you just go in and just read it with fresh eyes, And you read about the early church in this chapter, and you get the idea, man, they were not bored. There were no Christians in Acts chapter 3 that would yawn their way through a worship service, I can tell you that. These people were engaged in all that God was doing, and you got to ask yourself, man, do we have that? Do I have the excitement and the anticipation every day that I get up that God is going to use me in an incredible way today, that God is going to work in and through my life today in ways that I cannot imagine? Do we come Sunday by Sunday in a place like this together and come with the anticipation, man, God is going to do something incredible today. Every day is an opportunity to serve the God of the universe. So I want to walk through some things today from the early church, I believe is going to help us 
beat spiritual boredom. I call this six strategies to beating spiritual boredom. Call it whatever you wish. Here is the first one, and that is we have to expect God to do the miraculous in the midst of the mundane the miraculous in the midst of the mundane interesting story beginning in chapter Peter and John were going up to the temple so stop right there why are they going to the temple I mean I thought this is the New Testament we've already come out of the Old Testament all the stuff in the Old Testament is gone no Christianity was actually not to displace Judaism it was to fulfill Judaism what I want you to see is that Peter and John are just walking along, doing what they had done hundreds of times. It's a note you kind of want to make. They, they've done this over and over again. But this time, God has a divine appointment for them. Something that he has set aside, that he has not set aside before. In verse 2, it says, a man who was lame from birth was being carried there. He was placed each day at the temple gate called Beautiful. So now, just get a picture of what's going on and how this is playing out. Here's a guy who has never walked from birth. This man has never taken a single step. This is a birth defect of some kind. He's carried by some friends or some family members. He is carried to the gate, Scripture tells us, every day. In other words, this is a habit of his life. And so every day, week after week, month after month, year after year, they would bring this guy to this spot outside the gate to beg for money. You see it in verse 2. It says so that he could beg uh, from those that are entering the temple. Verse 3. When he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked for money. Peter, along with John, looked straight at him. Listen, all of us have been in situations like this, haven't we? You look anywhere but straight at the guy. You don't, you don't, you don't make eye contact. Most of us would look away from this guy, but that's not what they do here. They look straight at him. It is a focused gaze. into heaven as Jesus ascended in Acts chapter 1. Same word is used here. Then look what they said to him. They said, look at us. I mean, these guys want eye contact. Verse 5 says, uh, so he turned to them expecting to get something from them. Now again, let's just remind ourselves. Peter and John have been in and out of this gate a lot of times before. They had come to the temple for uh, prayer frequently, and this lame man was a fixture in that spot. They'd been in and out of there dozens of times before this, but this time was different. This time, God had a special plan. He was going to do the miraculous in the midst of the mundane. In the everyday activity that they had taken a number of times before, and only God can do that. Only God can take a routine stop at a filling station to put gas in your car, fuel in your car, and turn a conversation in the midst of that into eternal things. Only God can take an ordinary plane ride, and you're sitting next to someone you've never met before, you strike up a conversation, and before the plane ride is over, before the flight is over, you have the opportunity to pray with that person, and they accept Christ in a way now that changes their life for eternity. Only God can take a simple little blessing in a restaurant where you ask your waiter or waitress and say, listen, is, we're about to pray. Can I just pray for you? And to God take in that moment, that conversation and that prayer and begin to pray for direction in that person's life and change the direction of their life. When we become sensitive to the fact that God desires to do that in our lives on a regular basis, we're not 
spiritually bored. When I'm looking for where God is at work, it's when we learn to walk around with kind of our our head on a pivot with our spiritual eyes open, a willingness to engage people like Peter and John did, where they're gazing at this guy, they're looking at this guy, they want him to look at them, and God then can use us in ways that we cannot imagine. I mean, just think about this this morning. Who do you walk past every day? You walk right past this person. Who do you know whether it's at school or it's at work or wherever it is, who do you know that you need to engage in a conversation with about spiritual things and eternal things? Does a person that cuts your hair, they have any idea that you are a believer, a Christ follower, and that makes a difference in the values and the way you make decisions and everything about your life? Does the person that waits on you every day at the same breakfast stop that you make? Do they even know that you're a believer? Do they even know that you know Jesus Christ? I believe that we would be astounded if we ever realized how many divine appointments you and I walk past every single day. And God has set that person right in our path, a path that we have taken, a, 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 a routine that we have played out a number of times in our life, and God puts them right in our path to have the conversation with them that would change their life for all of eternity. So stop the boredom. Be alert. Be be on the lookout. God is opening doors for conversations with us every day that you and I simply walk past. So look for God to work in the mundane, the miraculous in the mundane. The second way you beat spiritual boredom is realize God wants to meet your greatest need. In verse 5, it tells us this man turn to them expecting to get something from them, right? You see that in in verse 5. Obviously, he's looking to get enough money to be able to have enough to eat today because he's going to come back tomorrow. He's going to beg again. And so that was his way of living. That was his way of life. And so he's looking for them to give him some money. If you look at verse 6, this is what Peter said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have, I give you. I have so much more. Peter says, I have so much more than you're asking for. When you think money, you think money is your problem, let's just get to the heart of the issue. You have a real need, a basic need that is in your life. And you got to love the next part. It says in the last part of verse 6, Peter says to him, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. I like writing in your Bibles. I like writing in my Bibles. You get to underline that phrase right there, in the name of Jesus Christ. 35 times in the book of Acts, you see the same phrase used. Why? Because the early church knew the power they had was in this Jesus Christ. They knew that was the only hope they had. They knew that was all that they had to offer. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, it says they baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 3, verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 6 and 16, they healed in the name of Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 12, Philip preached in the name of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 15, verse 26, they suffered in the name of Jesus Christ. In other words, simply because they're connected or attached themselves to Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 21, verse 13, Paul said he was willing to die for the name of Jesus Christ. It means to do something that is consistent with the will of Jesus Christ. And so the early church understood, apart from Christ, we have nothing to offer. In Acts chapter 3, verse 7, look at it, it says, then taking him by the right hand, he raised him up. And before this time, how many times had this man ever done that in his entire life? Zero. This man had never stood before. And then all of a sudden now, Peter 
introduces him to Jesus Christ in the name of Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, it changed everything. Not until this man had come into contact with Jesus Christ had he ever stood, had he ever taken a step. And in verse 7, he goes on to say, then taking him by the right hand, he raised him up. And once his feet and ankles became strong, so he jumped up and he started to walk and he entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. In a nanosecond, in just a moment, this guy goes from, I can't stand, I've never stood on my own, to now I'm walking, and I'm leaping, and I'm dancing. It is only through the power of Jesus Christ. Now go back, what did this guy think he needed? I just need a little bit of money to get through the day. He thought, that is my greatest need. If I could just cover my bills, if I could just get enough to go to the market to be able to get some food to eat, but God knew what he needed most. And I, I wrote this down in my notes, and that is that God knows my greatest need. Now, I may think my greatest need is this over here. And God says, no, that's not your greatest need. I know your greatest need, and your greatest need is not that. Your greatest need is this over here. That's the way that God operates in our life. How often are we coming to God, and, and, and we're asking God for something, and God is like, you know, I want to do more than you can imagine. I want to meet the need that is bigger than you, can, you could possibly think that I would even touch in your life. But there is a greater need that lies underneath. And so I believe that we shortchange ourselves so often because we come with our requests for these little things. These things, God, would you just do this or that? And the whole time God is saying, I want to do so much more for you than you're asking me for. I and mean, haven't you ever asked for anything in your life? Come to God and say, God, I, this is what I want. And God doesn't give you that. But God gives you something so much bigger. And then it's like I come back to God and I think, God, thank you for not answering my little tiny prayer. God, thank you for doing for me what only you could do. Thank you for meeting my greater need that I didn't even realize that I could come to you and ask for. So I'd simply say this. You want to be spiritual boredom. Pray for God to give you what God desires and not what you desire. Sorry, prayer this afternoon or this evening. You start to enter into that time of prayer with the Lord and just say, Lord, really what I want to do here, is I, I've got a list of things, but I, I know there's some things you want to do that's so much bigger than this. And so God, would you just begin to speak to me, lay some things in my heart, in my mind? God, would you just do for me what you want to do, not what I, what I want you to do, not what's on my measly little list? The boredom stops when we remember God wants to meet our needs in ways that we do not even know how to ask. But how does that happen? Here's the third. Have faith that God will meet that need. Now, faith there is a, is a key word. If you go down to verse 16... Peter's kind of recapping what had just happened with this guy, and he says, by faith in his name, meaning the name of Christ, his name has made this man strong whom you see and know. So the faith that comes through Jesus was given him this perfect, has given him this perfect health in front of all of you. Now, faith is kind of a slippery thing when we begin to talk about it. There are really two kind of extremes when people talk about faith. The first extreme people talk about faith, they say, no, it's, it's really not the amount of faith that you have, but it is the object or the person that you place your faith in. I've preached that for years. And then I begin to open the scripture. Because on the other side of the equation, same coin, the other view is, well, 
It really is how much faith you have. And yeah, you want to trust God, put your faith in God, but there is something that is in the mystery of the way that God operates that has to do with the faith that I have. So which of those is true? Is it, is it uh, not how much faith you have? It's in the person you put your faith in? Or is it in how much faith you have? Which is true. And I think if you open Scripture and begin to look, it is that both of those are true. Matthew chapter 8, a centurion wanted to heal a servant, and Jesus said, I have not found anyone in Israel with so great a faith as you have believed, let it be done for you. A paralyzed man was brought to Jesus in Matthew chapter 9 by some men, and it says, seeing their faith, this is how it starts, seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, have courage, son, your sins are forgiven. So faith touches the heart of God in some mysterious way that we don't really understand faith does move God. In Matthew chapter 15, a woman came to Jesus to have her, uh, heal, him heal her uh, daughter. Jesus replied to her, woman, your faith is great, so let it be done for you as you want. On one occasion, the disciples tried to cast out a demon, and uh, they went to Jesus and they asked him, why can't we do this? They tried and they weren't able to cast out the demon, and Jesus said, because your faith is too little. Jesus goes to his own hometown, Nazareth. He couldn't do any miracles. And the scripture says it was because of their unbelief. Your faith has a direct bearing on what God will do in your life. I don't understand how all that plays out. I just know I see it over and over again in scripture. So can we just be honest again this morning? Some of you this morning, you're bored in your spiritual life. You know why? Because you just refuse. What you do this morning, that there's something that you keep holding back from faith to see God do some things that will blow your mind. Faith that I'm able to work, or because of too little faith, I'm not able to work. I don't know how all that works out, but I do know faith touches the heart of God. Now, once God's blown your mind, how do you respond to that? Well, here's number four. Never lose a sense of amazement at God's work. Never lose that sense of amazement at God being at work. Look at verse 9. All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized that he was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple. So they were filled with awe and astonishment at what had happened to him, to be filled means that they were completely overwhelmed by something. What were they overwhelmed by? It tells us, doesn't it? First of all, this word awe. They were overwhelmed with a sense of God's, of God's nearness. There was, a, there was an awe that was a part of the crowd that, ah, look at God at work. There was also the astonishment. It says they were overwhelmed with awe and they were overwhelmed with astonishment. The word in the original is the same word from which we get our word ecstatic. They saw God working. They were blown away. They were ecstatic. They, they could sense God there. They could sense God's nearness there. So there was awe in their midst. Verse 11, he goes on to say, while he was holding on to Peter and John, all the people utterly astonished ran toward them on what is called Solomon's colonnades. What do the people do? <laughs> what do they do? They just kind of, oh, wow, check that out. No, they weren't casual at all. It says they ran. 
Everybody had seen what had happened. They ran toward Peter and John. And how does it describe him? It says they are utterly astonished. Hey, listen. I was saved when I was 11 years of age. I've been a Christian for a long time. So I think I can speak to some of this out of experience. But listen, do you, do you remember what it was like as a new Christian? To have that sensitivity to everything that God was doing around you in the world. I mean, it just seemed like it was constant conversation. It seemed like there was friend after friend after friend that was giving their life to Christ or giving their life to ministry, or whatever it was, but there, there was something that was happening around you. And you, you, you remember that. You just could not believe it. You couldn't believe how God was at work in the world. You were astounded. And then maybe somewhere you lost the wonder of all of that. We lose the awe. We, lo- we lose the astonishment. Wow, God, that's amazing. What happens to us? What happens to us is that we become familiar with the holy. We become so accustomed to the handiwork of God that we get bored with it. Those of us that live and have the privilege we don't have the same sense of awe and astonishment. We, we appreciate it, maybe, but we're not in awe and astonished by the handiwork of God in nature here. Just looking at the mountains. Just to stand and stare. And because I don't get to do it as often as I would like, when I stand at the edge of the ocean and look, I get that sense of astonishment and awe. God, that is amazing. But in the mundane things in our life where God is at work, Look what God is doing. And so when someone comes to Christ in our presence, we we lose the sense of wonder of what has just happened. This person has now gone from death to life. This person has now gone from an eternity where they would be separated from God to now they are going to have eternity in the presence of God. And we lose the wonder of what is happening in their lives. We, We don't get excited anymore. We don't get ecstatic anymore. We see somebody come to Christ and faith in Christ. There ought to be a sense in our life, man, God, that is amazing. That's why the last several churches I pastor, baptism is a a party. (laughs) We we are astonished. We, We cannot get over seeing what God is doing. And so we become familiar with the holy, but I think we also kind of become skeptical. We become cynical. We hear a story of something that God has done in another Christian's life, and we get, there was a time we'd get so fired up about that. And now we just kind of sit and, ah, it's a great story. Somebody shares a story of something miraculous God has done in their life, and you just, somehow you can't bring yourself to rejoice over that. And you try to shoot it down as maybe that, that's just a coincidence in their life. Not really a big deal. My wife's name is Leanne, and Leanne and I, we were in seminary in Texas. 
Uh, we didn't have two dimes to rub together. And our first child, our first daughter was born. We go to the hospital. Leanne has Tiffany and we leave the hospital and they told us our part of the bill is $989. I mean, that number, that figure is drilled into my brain. It's $989. I mean, it might as well have been $100,000. We were never going to pay that much money off. And this hospital had a uh, policy that if you couldn't pay your bill, they had a process you could go through and take out a loan from a financial institution. And um, so you could take the application home, fill out the application, and mail it back in. I had my application. I was sitting in my little office in the home where we lived while I was pastoring and I sat there with the application on my desk, and I was thinking, you know, there's no way they're going to approve me for this loan. If they do, they're dumber than I think they are. Because <laughs> there's no way I'm going to pay this back. I, I don't have a way to pay, make payment on this. So I'm just beginning to fill out the application. I'm really down in the dumps about the whole thing and have no idea how this is going to happen. And the mailman, my office sat with a window that looked out to the street, and the mailman drives up to the mailbox and uh, delivering today's mail, drives off. And I'm thinking, man, this would be a you know, great time for me to go for a walk, just a little walk out to the mailbox. I just get out of here and not have to think about this. And I walked out to the mailbox, I opened the mailbox, and you know how it is, you're walking back toward your home and you're just kind of thumbing through everything. It was a strange envelope, handwritten address, and uh, I opened the envelope, didn't have a return address on there, but I opened the envelope, and inside the envelope was a check. I had the return address on the check, so I knew how, I knew why the check was there, where the check came from. The check was for $1,000. So we had $11 left over after God had miraculously provided. So it was from a church in Georgia. We had no personal relationship to the church. So I called the church. Hey, uh, you know, what, where did this come from? And they said, Mark is from an anonymous donor, and they've asked that you not know. You know, to this day, I have no idea where that came from. It wasn't my family, my wife's family. I have no idea where that check, check came from. I know the church, but I don't know who it was that wrote the check and was the anonymous donor. You hear a story like that, how do you respond to that? Wow, what a coincidence. <laughs> Are you serious? See God do that? In the midst of our situation and begin to work this out? And I'm sure there are some things coming in my future I know nothing of where I'm going to struggle with some things related to faith and provision, God's provision and all. I'm sure there'll be some things out there, especially every time I preach this, I think, oh, oh this is going to... It's going to come down the road. But you know, since that day, my daughter's now 35 years of age, and since that time, I've never had to struggle with, do I really believe God's going to provide? He just always has. And I always think back to that check in a mailbox. It just happened to be there on the day that I'm about to fill out an application for a loan I cannot repay. And God had made this incredible provision. Well, some of us have gotten so cynical and so skeptical. Yeah, well, but 
Yeah, but for me, it's simply God making provision. We've got to be able to see God at work and let it stir our hearts. Number five, always give God the credit. And so when you see God working, how do you handle that? Especially when it's through you that God is working. When God is working through you, there's this overwhelming sense that, and I am so unworthy of this. Look at verse 12. When Peter saw this, he addressed the people. Fellow Israelites, why are you amazed at this? Why do you stare at us as though we made him walk by our own power or godliness? And Peter's saying the crowd's got it all wrong. They're thinking somehow we, John and I, had the power to be able to do this miracle. And Peter says, listen, don't be mistaken by this. There's nothing in us, nothing about us that makes this possible. We're neither that powerful nor are we that godly. This is all God. Peter is adamant about this. Please know this, he says. And so when God is working and someone tries to give us credit, it should shake us to our core. And we ought to be fanatical about God getting all the credit and all the glory for all that God is doing. And just keep this in mind as a church. If we can explain it, then God did not do it. And I don't want to be involved in something that God is not involved in. I mean, God forbid that any of us would somehow try to claim any credit for anything that God would be doing through a body of believers like Airline Baptist Church. The church of today is so much about this five-step strategy and this leadership technique. And listen, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with any of that, but so often we get so involved in that that we forget that it is either God or it doesn't last anyway. And I don't want anything to do with anything that gets out in front of God and takes God out of the equation. The only thing I want to see happening is when God says, I'm going to do this, and then God does something that I cannot explain. That is an incredible place to be. And if you're still bored, last one, look for opportunities to take a stand for Christ, even when it is hard. Take a stand for Christ, even when it's hard. So this crowd's gathering. Peter must be thinking to himself, hey, listen, that first sermon went pretty good. 3,000 people gave their life to Jesus Christ. So let's go, for, let's go for a repeat, right? And so he steps up in verse 13, and Peter begins to speak. He says, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors, has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you handed over and denied uh, before Pilate, though he had decided to release him. You deny the holy and righteous one and ask to have a murderer released to you. You kill the source of life whom God has raised from the dead. We are witnesses of this. And by faith in his name, his name was made, has made this man strong whom you see and know. So the faith that comes through Jesus has given him this perfect health in front of all of you. And now, brothers and sisters, I know that you acted in ignorance just as your leaders also did. And in this way... God fulfilled what he had predicted through all the prophets, that is, that his Messiah would suffer. Therefore, repent, turn back so that your sins may be wiped out, that seasons of refreshing may come in the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus, who has been appointed for you as the Messiah. So Peter stands, and boldly he takes this stand in front of this group of people. Just moments before now, they're ready to worship this guy. Peter now comes right back at him boldly. And some of you think, well, you know, sure, Peter's an apostle, right? He should be taking a stand for Jesus. He's an apostle. Do you know the fact is, each of us who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ are called to take a stand for Christ 
wherever we are. That's the calling God has placed on us. And if you want to experience God's power in your life, you want to get past the boredom, take a stand for Jesus Christ. You don't have to be a preacher to be a mouthpiece for God. So often in situations, preachers couldn't get into anyway. Your neighbor doesn't know the preacher. You do. They'll have a conversation with you, your coworker, your fellow student. They, they don't know the preacher, but they know you. Take a stand for God. And, and it's tough sometimes, it is, is it not? I mean, it's tough to speak up. But let me put it this way. It's easy to talk about God's love. Listen, everybody likes to hear about that. God loves, you know, for God so loved the world. It, Everybody likes to talk about that. But when you start taking a stand, you begin to talk about God's call for holiness, righteousness. God's call for unconditional forgiveness. Man, it gets hard. So look at, look at how Peter does it. First of all, he calls for personal responsibility. He calls them out, verse 13, this Jesus whom you handed over, verse 14, you deny the holy and righteous one. Verse 15, you kill the source of life. Peter's not giving any slack here. You guys did this. But it is balanced with this amazing grace. In verse 17, Peter says, Now, brothers and sisters, I know that you acted in ignorance, just as your leaders also did. And were they really ignorant of everything that was going on? He's saying they didn't realize how wrong the thing that they were doing, how wrong it was. Do you think they knew? I don't know. Peter says, Peter, Peter's giving them the benefit of the doubt. You really didn't know what you were doing. There's such grace in that. You did this, you did this, you did this. But listen, I, I know you probably didn't realize everything that was going on. There's such grace there. So we speak the truth, but it is balanced with grace. It is balanced with love. It is seasoned with the heart of God himself. So... We've got to be a people that speak for God. There is a world of people living in darkness that need us to stand for Jesus Christ. I know you're watching it. I'm watching it. The news every day is horrific, the direction we're all taking. We stand up, but we stand up with grace and love. We offer only what God can give. Would you bow your heads with me for just a few moments? Our heads bowed, our eyes closed, and there's no reason any believer should be bored spiritually. Just watch for God to do the miraculous amidst the mundane. And every day, keep your head on a swivel. I'm looking, God, where are you at work? God, who do you have as a divine appointment for me today? Believe that God wants to meet your greatest need. Some of you today are asking for things, and God is saying, I want to do so much more. Just trust God with that. Have faith that he's going to meet that need. Never lose the sense of amazement when God does something. And what God is doing, just amazement in that, always giving God the credit for that, standing up for Jesus Christ, even when it's hard. Maybe one of these this morning or several of these this morning touched you in a place where God's trying to speak to you today.
And I would just encourage you today to spend some time, a few moments. Mike's going to lead us in worship. And as he does, the altar is open. If you want to come kneel this morning, just simply spend some time with the Lord in prayer. If you don't know Jesus Christ today, we've got some leaders here that would love to share with you how to come to faith in Christ. I'll be down here at the front. There'll be others who'll be around. And just during this song, just come to one of us and say, you know, today for the first time I want to place my faith and my trust in Jesus Christ alone for my salvation. So I invite you to come. Whatever God has laid on your heart and wherever God has touched you this morning, you spend some time together, maybe just worshiping today. Just let God speak to your heart. Father, we thank you for our time together today, for your word. Uh, God, as we look back and all that you were doing in the early church, God, we want to see that kind of thing today. We are desperate for that kind of thing today. So God, would you move in among us, through us, use us, as only you can do. God, if there are those that need to make decisions today or maybe just spend some time with you in prayer today, then I, I pray now would be the time to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand amen. with me? Amen. Stand together and let's sing. All right, amazing grace. Sing it out. was great. 